You are listening to the Greater Long Beach Church Podcast. We are a church of believers that exists to help people connect, change, and thrive in life. Yes, yes. Awesome. I point this to you guys? Yes? Awesome. All right, that's what I'll do. Amen. So my name is Zeke Kezenekwe. Um, I'm from the uh, Cerritos College Campus Ministry. And um, I'm just, I just want to start off by saying I'm so grateful for you guys letting, letting me speak today. Um, it's just such an awesome opportunity. And I wanted to get a chance to share with you guys the whole entire church about the campus ministry. And um, this year, we were uh, thinking about a theme for the campus ministry, and a lot of different themes came up. One of the options was Soul Wars, right? I'm not going to tell you guys who pitched that idea. That will remain a secret, but Soul Wars, the war for the soul. But we decided to go with Jesus is Lord. Um, Because we wanted to see what would happen when we we put Jesus first in our lives, and uh, just to see what God could do on campus. And it's been incredible already. Um, after, this, after the first week of school for a lot of our schools, to see Caitlin and Ruben today making Jesus Lord of their lives. And um, I'm just so grateful to God that he's really blessing um, the, the campus ministry and the church, putting Jesus as Lord of, of their lives. But um, I wanted to talk to us today about Jesus being Lord and some of the obstacles that we can have to putting Jesus as Lord of our lives. Um, I believe that there's one thing in particular, one main thing, that if we don't destroy, Jesus can never be Lord of our lives. And that thing is idolatry. My first point today is that we have to get rid of all idolatry. And it's pretty awesome. I remember uh, four years ago, Edmund Sapinoso, he was um, a shepherd in the campus ministry, and we were having a D time. And, and Edmund shared something with me that I still haven't forgotten four years later. Uh, he told me that the root of every sin is idolatry. And that every time we sin, we inherently make a decision to put something before God. And he told me that, and I still have never forgotten that. And even today, even going through this, uh, all these scriptures this week and preparing this lesson, it's really reminded me and taught me how prone I am to put things before God. You know, I have a bad day, I have a bad couple days, I have a bad week, I don't connect to God in the right way. And all of a sudden, all these different things are being put as my priorities before God. So I hope that this study today really helps us to get rid of idolatry. But um, I want to go through the Old Testament a little bit and just, just to kind of see all throughout the Bible how God's people have always had issues with putting God first. Um, the first instance is with the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. And um, we see that uh, God through Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea to get to the promised land. And God and Moses goes up to a mountain to get God's laws, and when he comes back, uh, the people are worshiping a golden calf. You turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. It says, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. 
He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you, let, that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Even from the very beginning, we see how prone God's people are to evil and how prone God's people are. As soon as Moses leaves town for a little bit, they have a big giant golden calf which they had to make um, in place of God. And they began to give him all the glory and all the honor for taking them out of Egypt. And isn't that like us today? I know, I know for myself, I can be so much like that. And despite all the good things that God does for me, all the love that he gives me, all the blessings that he gives me, I can have the hardest time putting him first in my day-to-day life. You know, isn't that like us? Think about all the times you ran to relationships and different activities and other forms of idolatry despite God's awesome love for us. You know, Moses gets angry, and he grounds this thing up into powder. He mixes it in the water like it's some Kool-Aid or something, and he serves it to the Israelites, and he says, drink it so you guys never do this again. But unfortunately, the Israelites, they, they never learned their lesson. You know, you keep on going here, and the, and the Israelites get led by judges, and eventually they say, you know what, we want a king. We don't want judges anymore. We don't want God as our king anymore. We want a man king who will, who will be with us just like all the other nations. And that God does not take too kindly to that. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Lord tells them, listen to all these people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Guys, all across the Old Testament, every book in the Old Testament, it's all about idolatry. It's all about God's people putting things before God. In fact, idolatry is the most talked about sin in the whole entire Bible. God hates idolatry. But even with that, God gives them their king. Saul becomes the king of Israel. After him, David. And after him is Solomon. And Solomon's task was to build a temple for God. And, and God, when he, when he built the temple, he gives the Israelites a very strict command. He says there will be no other worship outside of this temple. No, nothing on the side, no other gods. Only to God in Jerusalem. But the people instead... Oh, There we go. The people instead, they made high places. Right? If you guys don't know what the high places are, the high places were local beds of idol worship. You see, that there's only one temple, and it was in Jerusalem. So instead of traveling all the way to Jerusalem to make sacrifices, or instead of going all the way there, they just set up many different high places in their local cities and their local towns. Every town had many high places, and it was just a convenient way to worship. You know, it didn't matter whether they were worshiping the Baals or whether they were worshiping the sun or, or Shemosh or all these other gods. They would just go to their local high place instead of to the temple of God. And God hated the high places. God wanted the high places destroyed. God had such a burning passion about the high places. And um, I believe that for, for us today, our high places are the areas that God has a strong conviction about that God wants destroyed in our lives, but that we just don't share the same conviction. You know, God has such a conviction about being first in our lives, but sometimes we don't share that same conviction. I know for me, I was thinking about, what is my high place? 
And I thought about my speech sometimes. I think that in my mind, just like what Ruben was talking about last week, I can just think that things are super funny, and I'll just say them, and I'll think it's hilarious, or I'll just do stuff like that. And in reality, God's like, what about encouraging one another daily? What about, you know, what about really honoring God with our speech? And that can be just one of my high places. But I know for us, we have so many different high places, and there aren't that many men who really see it the way that God sees it. You know, there was 39 kings in the books of First and Second Kings that followed Solomon after the, the temple was built. 39. Guess how many kings actually went and destroyed the high places? Anyone have a guess? One? No. There was more than one. It was four. Of the 39 kings, 10% of them destroyed the high places, meaning that for the hundreds of years that God of, of Israel, all the kings, most of that time, people were worshiping at the high places. People were sacrificing their babies to Molech. People were, were worshiping the Baals and, and building Asherah poles. Most of Israel's history was spent worshiping at the high places, but one man in particular, more than any other king, had God's heart towards the high places, and that was Josiah. We're going to read a little bit here in 2 Kings 23. You know, Josiah, I've been, I've been studying out the books of First and Second Kings for the last couple months, and Josiah has quickly become my favorite king in all of Israel. I mean, the guy is awesome, and he shares God's heart towards idolatry. In verse 13, the king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Shemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. In verse 16, even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel sin. Yes, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high places and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. If you go down to verse 25, it says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. You know, I think, first of all, it's hilarious how these men of God just destroy things and make them powder. You know, I was thinking to myself, I've got to make something powder if I'm a man of God. I've got to find something. I thought about, should I make my phone powder? What should I make into powder? All the men of God did it when they were destroying idolatry, right? These men hated the idols. They didn't just break it into little pieces. They burned it and ground it to powder. They hated the high places, just like God hated the high places. But it's funny because we can have those high places in our lives. You know, we can get comfortable and say, you know what, man, I know that we have all these different things to do for church, but, but my family, my family comes first. For the, in the campus ministry, for sure, it can be school. I just graduated this past May, and so many times in my life with school, I, I put that before God. And just so many things can come up in our lives where we don't have God's conviction about it. You know, how are you going to respond to the high places in your life. What are the high places in your life? What are the areas that you don't have God's conviction? You read it in the Bible, but yet in your own life it's just not quite the same. You know, there's a group of people in my life who I think, man, they constantly destroy the high places. 
They have God's conviction about being first. And that's my campus ministry in Cerritos College. You know, I, I love those guys. I love those men and women at Cerritos College. It was so incredible last week. We had our first week of school. We call it Rush Week in the campus ministry. And, um, you know, we, we had a great idea at Cerritos. We said, you know what? Instead of having one Bible talk a day, let's have three Bible talks every single day on campus. Let's go share our faith and have Bible discussions from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And surprisingly, not a single person complained. Everybody was on board. I mean, of the 12 Bible talk lessons, six of them were led by people who had never led Bible talk in their life. They were just on campus. And, and God was glorified. God was glorified. I mean, we had 67 people visit Bible talk the first week. 67 people on campus visit Bible talk. We had 24 people study the Bible in the first week of school just at Cerritos College. And that's because these men and women were not afraid to be uncomfortable. These men and women were not afraid to destroy the high places in their lives, the high place of idolatry, the high place of skepticism, the high place of criticalness. These people were not afraid to destroy those high places. I want to lift up Matthew Seawright sitting in the back. Uh, Matthew is literally the best athlete in this room. He set the... He set the world record, not the, I'm sorry, the Cerritos College record, okay? Cerritos College world, same thing, right? He set the Cerritos College slash world record for the hammer throw. And, and this guy has a full ride scholarship lined up for him at UC Irvine, and he's going to start attending there in three weeks. And he had every reason to put that first. That's how he's, that's how he's getting his college paid for. That's how everything's going to happen for him. He doesn't need to be on campus. He doesn't even go to Cerritos anymore. He's not taking classes. But every single day, Matthew gets on campus, and he shares his faith, and he gets into Bible studies, and he puts sports far below God. And, and I love Matthew for that. He inspires me that I can't be lazy and that I've got to remove the high places in my life. Right? But what about for us? Are you destroying the high places in your life? Do you even, are you even aware that there might be high places in your life? And are you going to react the way Josiah did and destroy them and ground them to powder and put God first? And so we see after the kings is a 400-year period of silence. There was nothing happening biblically. And then after that, Jesus appears on the sand. I want us to look at Jesus real quick. This is the, obviously the focal point of uh, this Bible study. And we're going to be talking about Jesus and how he destroyed the idols and how Jesus got rid of the idols. Thank you, brother. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 2, verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all I'm sorry, and drove all from the temple courts. I'm sorry, and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of, of money, of the money changers, and overturned the tables. To those he, who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And check this part out my favorite verse, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. You know, this is 1,500 years after the golden calf. So for 1,500 years, 
the people are still struggling with idolatry. Right? That was 2,000 years ago, and we still struggle with idolatry. And it's crazy because Jesus did not go to the high places. Jesus wasn't at the high places here. Jesus wasn't with the golden calf right here. Jesus went to the temple, right? Why did Jesus go to the temple? Why wasn't he out there messing with the sinners? So I think Jesus understood one thing. At some time, the biggest perpetrators of idolatry can be the religious. It can be the people in the church. The people in the church who, who are the most righteous, so to speak, can have the biggest forms of idolatry. You know, it's crazy because these people had followed the Pharisees for years. They knew exactly who the Pharisees are. They, they, they knew the scriptures. But in verse 17, his disciples, only when they saw Jesus, they thought of one thing. This is a scripture that came to their mind. Zeal for your house will consume me. That means they had never seen a single Pharisee with that same zeal for God's house. They had never seen a single Pharisee who put first what God put first. They had seen religion for years and years and years, but they never seen somebody put God first the way that Jesus put God first. Right? It's all, it's all about following. It's all about Jesus being Lord of our lives. And what do people think about when they see you? Is this what they think about? Man, zeal for God's house is consumed this person. This person destroys the high places, destroys the idolatry in their lives. You know, because I think one way or another, people notice what you put first. And people imitate your priorities. It could be if God's first, people are going to imitate that. But if God isn't first, people will imitate that as well. You know, how do I know this? How do I know that this is even true? Like I said, this semester I've been at Cerritos College, and we've had the privilege to have three young guys come and join the campus ministry from the teen ministry. Uh, that would be Jesse Cardona, uh, Justin DeLeon, and Spencer Wright. Um, man. And, and, and I honestly believe that those three guys are responsible for the fire that has kind of taken over at Cerritos College. These guys have brought such an energy, such a conviction, such a willingness to put God's, God first. And it was crazy because... Um, we're talking about having all these Bible talks, and I was like, guys, everybody has to do one. Yes, even you guys. You guys have to do a Bible talk. And so on Wednesday, we just lined them up, right? We had, we had Justin go first at 11.30. We had Spencer go at 1, and we had Jesse go at uh, 2.30. And it was crazy because th- there wasn't like your average, you know, there were six people sitting there, and it was just kind of a little practice run, and maybe better job next time. Oh, these guys are preaching in front of 30 people, Okay. It was, it was a big, if you guys know the little square area at Cerritos, it was packed, shoulder to shoulder, with people sitting there watching these guys preach. You know, I have a question. What were you guys doing your first week of school? You know what I'm talking about? Were you guys preaching God's word on campus? Were you guys in front of 30 people telling them to make Jesus Lord of their lives? I wasn't either, but those guys were. You know what I'm saying? That was awesome. That was awesome. Those guys are doing an incredible job. I, I, I love these guys. I love Justin on campus, always making time-lapse videos. I don't know why he does this. He just gets my, eye, my phone and just starts making videos. Spencer is just the funniest person alive. Jesse, man, I, I love these guys, man. They have just made it so awesome. But I, I thought about it, and I said, how do these guys get like this? They're, they're not your average 18-year-old kids. They're, they're not your average college students in, in any way, shape, or form. 
And I think that they grew up in households where God was put first. And they imitated the faith of their parents. And they imitated the faith of their church. And they saw how when different situations came where, where, where people were tempted to put God second or third, how they destroyed those high places. And they saw the zeal for God's house consume their families. And I, and, and I know all their families really well. You know, I, I take these guys home a lot, and I'm really tired by then. So I've taken a nap on all of their couches. I've been, I've been served dinner and, and snacks by all the families. I love it. And I see how they put God first. I see and I've imitated how they put God, for, God first. So for us today, what are people thinking about when they see you and your priorities? Do they see you putting God first? You know, if Jesus walked up in this room, what table is he going to overturn in your life? What's the stuff that Jesus is saying? Enough of this. Get this out of here. I am Lord. Put me first. All right, we got to think about that, guys. That religion can be one of the biggest forms of idolatry. You know, it's a really cool story in John chapter 4 where Jesus is interacting with the Samaritan woman. And it's pretty cool because in verse 7, Jesus comes to her with a proposition. Jesus says, hey, let me get a drink of water. Jesus wanted to know if she would serve him. Jesus wanted to know if that was important to her. And her answer to Jesus is, well, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I can't serve you. What are you talking about? Right? Jesus wanted to know if what was important to God was important to her, serving people and loving people. And her answer was simply, my religion says I can't do that. My, my customs say I can't do that. You keep on reading in verse 10, and, and Jesus asks her, do you even know who I am, Offering, asking you to give me water? And she said, well, are you greater than Jacob, the one who built this well? Is, could that be you? Once again, she doesn't quite understand what Jesus is getting at here. And I want to pick the story up in verse 16, no, verse 17. Let's just go to verse 16, where Jesus asks her, go and call your husband back. She says, I have no husband, she replied. You are right when you say you have no husband, Jesus said to her. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now Jesus just got to the heart. Jesus has her. He primed her. She's ready to make Jesus Lord of her life, right? And check out her answer. Sir, I can see you're a prophet, but our ancestors worship on that mountain. But the Jews worship in Jerusalem. She went straight to religion. She went straight there. Jesus wanted her to make him Lord of, his, of her life. Jesus was ready for her to commit her life to him. And all she can talk about is religion. And Jesus says something crazy here in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I love verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Sometimes we're worshiping religion. We think we're worshiping God, but we don't know. We just don't know what we're worshiping. For sal- but we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must, must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman, still not getting it, well, when the Messiah comes, I'll just have him explain this to me. I don't get it. Right, that's her response. This woman does not get who's talking to her. 
This woman does not get the opportunity that she has to put Jesus first, to follow Jesus, and to serve Jesus. Instead, she's focused on societal norms. Instead, she's focused on religion. She's focused on where she's worshiping. Wait, I can't follow you. I have to go to the mountains. You got, you're going to the temple. What do I do about that? You know, can't that be us sometimes, though? Don't we wor- wor- worry way too much about where we worship? The sound, right? The slides. You know, the slides are kind of dumb. Why is it blue right there? I don't know, okay? We can, we can focus on that instead. We can focus on so many things, right? We can focus on where we worship and not who we're worshiping. We don't put Jesus first because our religion is first. Our schedule's first. Look at my schedule. I had D time on Monday. I went to midweek on Wednesday. Jesus is Lord. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's not about your schedule, and it's not about your religion. In fact, Jesus came to destroy the religion and to have us put him first. You know, I think it's, it's funny because I was thinking about this, and I got so convicted because I was like, I think someone asked me, I think it was Greg asked me yesterday, so what, what do you do about serving the poor? And I was like, well, every time the church puts something on, I, I go and I serve the poor. Right? But it's like, wait a second. That's, that's just like the woman here. Wait, no, Jesus, but I have to go over here. What, if, if, if my people are okay with it, I'll come over there. If the church does this right here, yeah, I'll serve the poor. But what about the fact that that's God's conviction, that I serve the poor no matter if, no matter if, if anyone in the church is anything or not? That's God's conviction. And that's got to be my conviction. What about God's conviction to seek and save the lost? How you, how you can ask, you know what, so how's your evangelism? It's like, well, well, no one's asked me to be in a Bible study in a while. So, so I just, you know, I'm just waiting for someone to ask me to be in a Bible study. That's religion. That's not God's heart. God's heart is for you to go out and make disciples of all nations, to share your faith, to ask other people to be in your Bible study. Right? It's all about making Jesus Lord and going after the things that he cares about and not waiting for the church and not, and not hoping for, for religion to take care of it for us. We've got to have a genuine relationship with God that Jesus is first and that Jesus is Lord. You know, I, I wanted to uh, kind of give us a little bit of a solution here. We see how tough it is that Jesus is first. We see that God's people from cover to cover have struggled with idolatry and how even us today can struggle with idolatry. But I have a solution. God has a solution. It's that we fix our blank on Jesus. What's the blank? You know, you got to fill the blank, not me. I'm not you. You know what you got to fix on Jesus. You know what, ha- what, what needs to be more focused on Jesus. I think the first thing is that our eyes got to be fixed on Jesus. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, it's just crazy because Jesus cannot be Lord of our lives if our eyes aren't absolutely fixed on him. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus in the first place? How do we fix anything on Jesus? I think it starts with opening up our Bibles every single day and reading his word. If you're not reading your word, your eyes can't possibly be fixed on Jesus. You know, it's crazy. I, I love the song that we say, sang earlier. It's one of my favorite songs, Fix My Eyes. And I just love how it talks about, 
you know, as I fight to follow, you're my righteous guide. You know what I'm saying? Like, take off all the sin that hinders. Pull everything off me and just let me follow. Let me fix my eyes. Let me make you Lord of my life. And I think that everything changes when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. When we're distracted, when we're looking elsewhere, everything looks grim. But when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, everything changes. But nothing happens if we're not fixed on Jesus. Nothing happens if our eyes are not fixed on Jesus. I think the first thing that we've got to fix on Jesus is our eyes. We've got to be watching Jesus. And you say, man, but that, that sounds really good, and I try, and that's awesome, but, but I'm just so busy, so busy. I just don't have the time to do that. But you know what? What do you have time for? What do you do with 24 hours if not fixing your eyes on Jesus? Perhaps that's your high place. Perhaps everything else that you do has become an idol before God. Perhaps your religion has become an idol before God. And you know what, you know what the men of old did with their high places and their idols? They turned them to powder. They turned them to powder. And you say, wait, wait, wait. But, but, but it's my son. He's, he's what's taking up all my... Well, ground him to powder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't ground your sons to powder. That's not what I'm talking about here. We just got to fix our eyes on Jesus and help him fix his eyes on Jesus too, amen? The next thing that we got to do, though, is we got to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We can't ground our kids to powder, though. We got to fix our thoughts on Jesus. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Let me ask you guys a question. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Sports, maybe? Your family? Maybe work? Maybe this, this giant issue that's going on in your life and it can't get off your mind? What would happen if your thoughts were fixed on Jesus this week? How would that change how you approach those situations? How would that change your priorities? I'll tell you what, Jesus would definitely be Lord of our lives if we fixed our thoughts on Jesus. I think that our priorities and our schedule and everything can dominate our thoughts so much that we never even get the opportunity to put Jesus first in our lives. That's not even a thought. That's not even a, a concern. You know, we might, it's not even something that we even think about throughout the week. But Jesus has to dominate our thoughts if we're going to make Jesus Lord. The last thing is that we've got to fix our hearts on Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the word of God says, since then you have been raised with Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. And so I just wanted to ask, what is your heart desire? What's on your heart? What's your, what, what is your biggest desires? And are those also God's biggest desires for your life? And I think sometimes we can get really selfish with our heart. We can get really selfish about our desires. We can want this, that, and that, and God's priorities just get thrown to the side. We just have a whole bed of idols, a whole bed of high places. But I think that God's heart has to be our heart. It's like how it talks about King David, how he was a man after God's own heart. We have to be men and women after God's own heart. How do we do that? We've got to set our hearts on things above. We've got to set our hearts on Jesus. Amen? And so in conclusion, I just want to close out by saying there's so many different forms of idolatry. Of idolatry, it's not plural, idolatry, right? 
There's the golden calf, the overt, obvious, giant form of idolatry that needs to be destroyed today. That could be a relationship. That could be school. That can be whatever your family, whatever's going on in your life that's obvious and that's there and you know it. There can be the high places, the high places where we've compromised and we, ha- and we stop seeing things that are important to God as important to us. And those have to be, what happens to the high places, guys? Gets thrown into powder, right? And then there's religion and, and how religion can become our idol. And we can be so focused on our religion. And no matter what your form of an idol is, because the idea here isn't that, oh, do you struggle with, with idolatry or not? The idea is, which one of those is your idolatry? Which one of those, when you're not focused, when, it, when, when you take a day off, when you're, not, when you're not doing what you need to be doing, is your default idol? idol? And you've got to destroy them all. And how do you destroy them all? You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've got to fix your thoughts on Jesus. And you've got to fix your heart on Jesus so that Jesus can be Lord of our lives. To God be the glory. In most of those cases regarding his jealousy over his people, the Israelites, and how they served the Baals or how they, how they went to the high places and made sacrifices. And I think as a people, we've got to make sure that we do not arouse the Lord's jealousy, that we give to God what is God's, that we, that we worship the only person that is worthy of worship, and that's God. That's Jesus. The third thing. We're going to wrap it up here. Is uh, Jesus was tempted to fall on the rocks. He was tempted to throw himself off of the temple. And I think, you know, I was talking to my wife about this because I was like, you know what, babe? I'm having a hard time really deciphering what I want to say with this. And, uh, she was, and we, we sat down and we literally were just sitting there and just talking about this back and forth. And we're having this really cool, deep discussion about this whole Jesus throwing himself off. And, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of times it can be, okay, you know, maybe it's suicide, there's something better on the other side, or maybe there's, you know, all the different concepts that we were thinking about, and we landed on this one, and I said, you know what, I think this is great. I think this is vanity. In a very, like, in a very small little sliver of it, I think you, you, you really, it, it's so subtle that you can't really see it, because Satan, what he's doing and what he's saying is that, hey, look, if you do this, God is going to come to your rescue, because you're the son of God, Remember? And I think he's playing off of your status. He's playing off of, of, of who you are. And many of us are Christians. We believe in God. I think Satan tries to play off of that. And he says, remember, you're a Christian. Remember, God is going to love you. Remember, you, you know, God's going to give you grace. You can totally do this in secret. No one will know. I think there's this vanity behind that. There's this sense of, you know what, I'm going to draw a line and I'm going to give God ultimatums. God, you got to protect me. God, you got to give, you got to help me out here. God, I'm going to do this, but you got to come to my rescue. Come on, God, where are you at? God, if you don't come to my rescue, you're going to lose another faithful follower. I mean, God, you know that's what I am. I'm faithful. 
I give every Sunday. I come to church. I, I, I'm, I'm an active member in, in, in the church and doing all these different things. So, so God, you got to come help. You, you got to bail me out. You got to do, God, you got to. And there is this vanity. There is this sense of, you know, I can just imagine God and, and just knowing a little bit of God's character of how he, how he challenged Job. And how I, I can just imagine if, if you know, for me, I, I, I kind of do this sometimes. I can kind of, as a leader, I say, God, you got to make people, you got to help people, you got to, God, you know, and I, and I try to cry out to God, and I, and I kind of confuse it a little bit with really relying on God. God, you, you said, God, you better. And I think that there's a, there's a balance. I'm not saying that, that we can't take God upon his promises, but I think sometimes we try to manipulate the promises, and we try to draw this line. You guys with me? And I think with this, we end up trampling over, over Jesus. We say, you know what, God, you better do that. God, you better give me this relationship. I'm going into this relationship. If this is the one you want me to have, make it successful. Don't let me fall into this. God, help me with this. And we draw these lines with God. And we allow ourselves to go into this temptation or this area of temptation. God, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm a disciple. You've got to protect my heart. God's going to protect me. God's going to help me. And then we fall flat on our face, and then we're like, God, where were you? I've been faithful forever. Why didn't you come and, and rescue me? And I can just imagine God, you know, when, when, when I do this, I can imagine God, I, I, and this sets me straight. This just sets me straight. You go and read, like, Job 37 and 38 and 39. You look at the Lord's rebuke, and he's like, who do you think you are? And I can just imagine myself sitting there and just like, God, and God's like, enough! And I'm like, what? Enough? It's like, who do you think you are? How dare you put me to the test? And I think there's a sense of us having to know that God loves us so we don't have to test his love. We don't got to test God's love for us. And I think that sometimes we can use this and we can manipulate, we try, we try to manipulate the scriptures or manipulate the word of God to create back doors into sin. God, you know, we, we, we cry out to God and we say these things, God, you got to help me, you got to be with me. In Hebrews 10, verse 29, we'll close up with this passage. Hebrews 10, verse 29, a call to perseverance in the faith. Actually, let's go up to 26. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Stopping here real quick, I think that this is just really deep. Looking at, man, like there is no sacrifice left. If we understand and we really understand God's love, and we come in contact with that love, and we see God's love, there is no reason to throw yourself off, off of the temple. There is no reason to say, God, come and rescue me. Don't let my, you got to send the angels concerning me. And to be honest with you guys, I think that this, this area, this, this falling on the rocks, this vanity, I think it's probably the most, the most deadliest struggle of them all. I mean, imagine Jesus throwing himself off. Now, I have no doubt that Jesus being able to walk on water, that he could have done something. But, but can you imagine yourself, or one of us, throwing ourselves off? What would have happened? It's dangerous. 
It's a dangerous thing. I don't think that we, should, that we, were, we were here to put God and his love to the test. I think that this is a very dangerous place to be in vanity. Sometimes we can say, God, you're going to change my heart, won't you? You've got to change my heart, God. You've got to do this. I'm, I'm leaving it all up to you. And there's this false sense of humility with God. We don't give up relationships that we have to because we say, you know what, God? You're going to protect me. I know you will. And I think even when it comes to, you know, I think for us that, for those of us who, who maybe own a business or, or anything along those lines, or, you know what I'm saying, you, you may be wealthy in our church. You may have a lot of money. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I have never owned a lot of money. Um, you know, I'm, I've not been extremely wealthy ever. Um, you know, I'm saying my, my parents probably, but not me. Huh? Yeah, well, there you go. Got some relationships there going on, cracking off. You know what I'm saying? But I think a lot of times um, you, you, may not be strugg- you may not struggle with some of the things that everyone else struggles with. But I think it's, it's so crazy because in the Bible it talks a lot about greed. It talks a lot about money. And I think sometimes if, we're, if we sit here and we try to cheat ourselves and we try to draw these lines with God, even when it comes to money, God, I'm going to make this investment. God, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to do this right here. But you've got to protect me, God. And then when the, the investment falls flat or whenever anything's going to fall flat or things happen where the money doesn't come through the way that we needed it to come through. And it's like, God, you didn't protect me. God, what happened? It's your fault. In verse 29, it says, How much more severe do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? And I wanted to just, just, just land here real quick because I think, you know, I, I love Jesus. I love that Jesus, he cleanses us. He, he, he provides a blanket for us. And there is grace for us. But I think that there is this point that we cannot allow ourselves to give ourselves over to vanity. You know, as a leader, I feel like there are times, you know, as a leader, as a friend, as a parent, I'm, I'm not a parent yet, and I'm not about to be a parent, so don't, don't draw conclusions there. Um, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, my, to, to my friends and even to my own parents, I think there have been times where I have gotten good at doing this with, with, with people. You know what I'm saying? I've gotten good with using things and, and manipulating situations. And I think we, I can try to carry that right into the kingdom. I try to carry that with my relationship with God. I'm like, God, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be here for me. You just gotta do it. You have to because you're God. Remember, as if He's forgotten. You know, and I think we gotta make sure that we we keep ourselves in check and we keep and, and, and we we trust that God is is God. That He loves us. That He wants to take care of us. That He wants to give us exactly what we need. That we do not push ourselves over and trample under the foot of the foot of Jesus Christ. That we, don't, that we don't insult the spirit of grace. And I can be, I'll just be honest with you guys. I think a lot of times insulting the spirit of grace, I mean, it, it, it's a huge deal. I think God takes it seriously. We're given grace, we're given grace, we're given grace, and we just insult it by allowing ourselves to fall back into it without creating this plan to overcome temptation, without getting open or having this open dialogue with God. Thank, thank the Lord that Jesus died on the cross for us. I'm really grateful for that. But I think we have to make sure that we do not insult that. We don't insult the spirit of grace. We don't insult Jesus. 
by the way that we live, by the way that we even try to, try to, try to, try to manipulate things. Amen? So that's basically what I wanted to share with you guys here today. Um, those three things, I think that if you look at your life and you try to figure out where can, they, where can my biggest temptation uh, fall in line, I think you can find it within these things. Idol worshiping, uh, it doesn't just have to stop with worshiping mankind. I think it can also um, be in a relationship, you know, uh, worshiping a relationship, um, worshiping impurity. Um, you know, I think uh, vanity, pride, this, under, this, this sense of I want to manipulate the system or I want to manipulate, you know, people or I want to manipulate. I think that you can find yourself somewhere in there. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully. I mean, for me, I know that when I was looking at this, I found myself in all three. You know, I found myself somewhere between all three, and I was like, i got to create a better game plan for myself as a man of God. Amen? So um, as, I'm going to go ahead and say a quick prayer, and we'll take communion, and uh, we'll uh, continue on with the service. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity um, just to be with one another in worship, um, to, to be close to you, God. I'm just so grateful that you allow us to be close to you, that, that you come down and you start the dialogue with us, that you've given us your word to guide us and to shepherd us and to help our hearts. God, thank you so much for this time to be able to, um, to get close to your son and seeing all the things that your son has laid out for us and how he has gone before us and has been tempted in every single way, and yet he has overcome it all. God, that gives me so much hope. It gives me the desire to, want to, to go out into the world and say that, you know what, I can overcome temptation, but only when I am close to the blood of Christ. Only when I'm close to the Lamb. God, thank you so much for this time to be close to you. God, thank you so much for Jesus dying on the cross for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.greaterlongbeachchurch.com.